Uh, all right, we're live. Um, it's always a, bit, a little bit weird talking to the people that aren't there. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about... All right, we're live. Oh. Um, Hang on, I need to turn this off. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about... All right, technical difficulties. Okay, all fixed. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about XCD or cross country downhill or Nordic touring equipment. Uh, this is the type of equipment you would use, typically find or utilize to ski on the Catamount Trail. Um, it's great. It's great gear for poking around in the woods, um, rolling terrain. Um, you know, a lot of what we have here in the Northeast, it's like, it's kind of the, they're kind of the perfect setups uh, for getting out and exploring. Um, if you didn't know, uh, this is this uh, this event is hosted by the Catamount Trail Association, um, and the Catamount Trail Association is a nonprofit located here in Vermont that takes care of the Catamount Trail. The Catamount Trail is a 300-mile-long backcountry ski trail that runs the length of Vermont. In addition, we also have a number of chapters spread around the state that manage uh, backcountry zones for more vertically oriented uh, alpine touring and splitboarding. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about XCD gear, and we've got a great panel of a great panel lined up for you. Um, in a minute here, we're gonna take a minute, we're gonna go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, I'll start with myself. I'm, my name is Greg Mayno, I'm the communications director. I've been with the Catamount Trail for eight years and we'll be, you know, I love to ski in all, all kinds of different skiing and uh, tonight we'll hopefully uh, get you guys going. Um, sorry, I should be more prepared. Let's go to Kenzie. Hi, I'm Kenzie Pequay. Um, I am a technical sales manager and uh, I run the Nordic department at Outdoor Gear Exchange. Um, I come from a skinny ski background, so XCD skiing makes me extremely happy being able to get out, make some turns, and also get some nice kicking and gliding in. Thanks, Kenzie. Uh, Sam. I, uh, I'm Sam Brakely. I live in Sharon. Um, I I run a company called Hermit Woods Trail Builders and get to build trails, uh, play in the woods every day, all day. And I came to Catamount Trail, I threw skied in 2015. Uh, uh, and since then I've continued to play in and around uh, the trail itself and certainly everywhere else in Vermont. Um, do a lot, of, a lot of time in the woods. Nice, and just to, just to clarify, through skiing means you started at one end of the trail and skied all the way to the other end without stopping, so. Nice work on that. Yeah. Uh, and Will, <laughs> Will Skerritt. Hi, everybody. I'm Will Skerritt. Um, I live in Winooski now after living in Fairfax for 25 years. And I got into Nordic skiing um, as well in the late 80s, and a little bit late in life. But um, I did a I got into backcountry skiing in 1991. I did a tour in the Adirondacks with skinny skis and I had no idea what I was doing and I have no idea to this day how I survived. Um, and I became an end-to-ender uh, just this past year, uh, January in 2020, uh, after doing it over the last three seasons. Nice. And so again, to clarify, an end-to-ender is somebody that's skied the entire length of the trail it sounds like you took three years uh, to yeah. ski individual sections to kind of link that together. Yep. Nice work. And then Amy, how about, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'm Amy Kelsey. Um, I 
live in Underhill, Vermont, just under Mount Mansfield, strategically placed um, for good skiing. Um, <clears throat> I currently, well, I used to work for the Catamount Trail Association with Greg, um, first as a trail director and then as the executive director. I was there until 2018, I think. Um, and I, it still kind of cracks me up how much I love skiing. Like it sounds so cliche, but it really is about the, my favorite thing to do. And I grew up alpine skiing and just kicking around in the backyard on Nordic skis. Um, and it just evolved from there into tele skiing in college and ski patrolling and then backcountry skiing. And I even learned to snowboard for a little while there so that I could instruct backcountry snowboard courses. <laughs> um, so I'm just a lover of the snow and of the Catamount Trail Association. Great. Thank you so much. So tonight our goal is to kind of share with everybody out there a little bit of information about um, Nordic touring or XCD equipment um, and help you guys kind of kind of sort. There's a lot of options out there these days. And what we wanted to help you do is kind of like understand when to choose different types of gear for different types of situation. And so we'll get, we're going to slowly go through the different equipment that we're using and share a little bit about what it is and why we why we've chosen this specific gear for um, for our skiing endeavors. Um, we're gonna start with skis because that seems to be one of the more important pieces of equipment for Nordic touring. And how about Sam, how about you tell us a little bit about what you're using right now for skis? Sure, I got them. I got them right here. Uh, I have mod, mod shoes. Uh, they're the Epics. The, the, well, it's not spelled like Epics. It's spelled like Epoch, but Epics. Um, so this is uh, this is what I've been using since 2015. This is what I threw skied on. Um, I'm not I'm a, a a one ski quiver kind of guy. I don't have a whole lot of. You know, I have one downhill. I have one um, cross country downhill. I have one cross country ski. Uh, but I'm not. I don't have a whole bunch. I I I, uh, I think I think you could find one ski that works really well for for most of what you're doing. Um, so this has. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think Mod Shoes has a, has a three or four different options. This is right in the middle there. Um, so it is, I can tell you, 68 underfoot. Um, and it, um, it's got metal edges. It's got uh, fish scales underneath. You can see the fish scales right there. And um, uh, I, I found it to be just sort of a, a really nice daily driver that allows me to go pretty much everywhere. I spent a lot of time in my backyard. I spent a lot of time in my neighbor's backyard. Um, I, I think uh, that there's a lot of fun to be had really close to home. And um, these seem to work really well for me uh, heading just about anywhere, whether it's, yeah, whether it's on the Catamount Trail or, or just in the backyard. Nice. <clears throat> and did you, did you get those when you, and your preparation to ski the Catamount Trail? I did. Yep. I um, hadn't done a ton of, I come from a, uh, unlike Kenzie, I think, I come from a, a downhill skiing background. I grew up going to the resorts. I grew up uh, riding chairlifts and um, got into backcountry and touring relatively later in life. Um, and, and my initial backcountry experience was um, touring on downhill skis with AT bindings. And so coming into this XCD world uh, was even later in life. Um, and so these are what I purchase for the for the catamount trail i um did a bunch of research online this felt like uh, you know again being a, a one ski one ski quiver kind of guy this felt like a really good solid 
middle of the road option for me that would, would hit all my needs. And I picked it because I knew I'd be hitting just about every type of terrain and every type of snow condition that I'd be, uh, that, that, that is out there when I was uh, on the catamount. You know, if you're gonna go out for three weeks straight, you're gonna, you're gonna see a little bit of everything. And, um, and so I wanted something really solid underfoot. I wanted something with metal edges. Um, you certainly need the fish scales to go up even gentle inclines. Um, if you're going up steeper, more sustained pitches, then, then you might be getting into skins. And I think that's a, a conversation later on here. Um, but I was just looking for something really well-rounded that would hit a, a lot of the bullet points that you might find out in the woods. And um, this is what I came up with. Great, thanks. Yeah, that is, that's one of the skis that we recommend as a, as a one ski, as the, like a single ski to do the whole trail on. Um, I'm gonna take a minute. I'm actually in, be in between XCD setups right now. I don't actually have my own. So I grabbed a pair here and I figure I will just take a minute to go over like what an XCD setup, how, what distinguishes an XCD setup from uh, a typical Nordic setup. Um, your typical, a lot of people are gonna be familiar with Nordic skis and like classic cross country skis. And the motion, the, the skiing style that would take place on XCD or Nordic Touring is gonna be, it's gonna be the same classic stride that you're used to at a resort. And the skis are very similar as well. However, they tend to be a little bit wider to provide you with a little bit more support in soft snow. Uh, they tend to have metal edges uh, to provide a little bit more grip in uh, a variety of terrain, icy terrain, or if you're stepping over rocks or logs or whatever you find uh, in the woods. Uh, most of them, all of them are gonna have almost a fish scale pattern on the bottom. Uh, what this is is a, a textured base that gives you grip in the snow and still slides pretty well. Um, similar to like a, you know, your, kick, your waxless uh, Nordic skis. Um, and so the, and some of the variations, like when you're out there choosing skis, like you have different widths to choose from. And I'm hoping that some people here will have uh, a, a variety of kind of like skis to choose from. We didn't, hopefully not everybody brought epics. Um, that would probably defeat the purpose of this uh, episode. Um, and so this one here is the BC90 from Rosignol. Um, it's 90 millimeters at the tip. It's a little bit, has a little bit more camber than, which is the kind of the amount of like flex in the ski compared to the ski that uh, the Epic, which Sam showed us. Um, it tends to have, it's a little bit narrower and has a straighter edge profile so that it's, it's more optimized for going in a straight line from going point to point, but it is gonna be a little bit, it's gonna make it, it's gonna be a little bit more difficult to turn in like challenging terrain or on a descent. Um, I'm hoping Amy might have a slightly, a ski on the other end of the spectrum. Do you wanna go next and show us what you're skiing on? Uh, which end of the spectrum are you going to? <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping you have your anims. I do. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the sibling ski of the Epoch or Epic that Sam was talking about. This is the anim. These are old, but this still is an available ski as far as I know. Um, also by Mad Shush, if that's how you say it. Um, so 109 up here, I think 78 underfoot and like 90... 95 in the tail. So it's a metal edge ski with a waxless pattern. Um, and it really carves nicely because of the shape of the tip. Um, and <clears throat> sorry if my dog makes noise. Um, I bought these for the Catamount Trail. Uh, I was, my other choice is like a skinny little recreational Nordic ski, um, which is fun on the Catamount Trail, but an added challenge because conditions are highly variable. So 
little bit wider, a little bit more shape than what Sam had. Still, I use these all the time just in the backyard. They're a little bit heavier maybe than those skinny skis, but they're so much more stable uh, that it's really a favorite ski. Hey, Henry. Well, and so one of the other things uh, with like the ski that Amy's using, uh, it's wider, has a little bit more radius. So that's going to help the ski turn in challenging conditions. But this the ski also has a, a flatter, softer flex. So again, when you're you're leaning on that ski in a turn, it's gonna you're gonna force it into a curve a lot more easily, which makes it easier to turn in softer snow in challenging conditions, uh, and gives you a little bit more control and safety uh, in downhill areas. Um, did you want to mention your? Do you want to show your your other side? Because th those are the ones. Sure. They're like they're non-metal edge skis. They're non-metal edge skis. They're truly just like a mid or entry level. Nordic touring ski, no metal edges. I think they're, I don't know the width. Um, <clears throat> these were at the Catamount Trail when I arrived in 2008 um, <laughs> and I just bought them um, from the trail then. So these are just like, these are not particularly stable but they're very light. Um, they're not, they weren't particularly expensive. Uh, with the pattern, I can kind of go anywhere. The patterns are beginning to wear away. Obviously, that can be a problem over time when you're just skiing on like a little bit of snow sometimes for fun. Um, and they have, well, we're not to bindings yet, but they just have a simple NNN, not even a BC version. Uh, but I found them pretty stable just for being, you know, messing around in the woods in the flat areas. Um, not great on ice. Sure. Well, and on the Catamount Trail and like on mellower sections of the Catamount Trail, like those are a great option because they're light. They, they tour really well. They're really efficient in a straight line. And if you don't have any major descents to kind of navigate, then, you know, you can usually make, you know, you can usually make it through without any kind of issue with those. Well, and these are just narrow enough that they'll still fit in a track at a Nordic yeah. Center. So I'm definitely, uh, these are really my two pairs of skis aside from this sounds absurd right my three pairs aside from the ones that i use at the ski area or to you know really skin up and ski down uh but they can go on the track at at a nordic center as well so or on a snowmobile section of the catamount trail for example that gets groomed they'd be much more efficient awesome thank you and how about will what are you skiing on this year or maybe in the what did you use this I'm assuming these are what you use to ski your end to get your end to end. Actually, that's a, a great segue because no, I've skied on four different versions of skis as I tried to get end to end. And what I've ended up with is the Fisher 112s, which are the Fisher's equivalent to the um, Matchus Anums. Um, and, and I absolutely love them. They're a great ski. Um, I also tried a more traditional tele ski and used wax and that worked great some days, but the conditions can be so variable um, that I had some horrible, horrible days uh, trying to figure out the wax and keep up with the group and stuff. So going to the waxless was a, um, it's just gives you so much uh, versatility and ease of use. Can I, can I ask really quick your, that waxable pair of skis you used? Do you remember, it was a, was it kind of a traditional Alpine ski with a Telemark binding on it? That you yeah, I unfortunately don't have it with me to show, but it was a sure. black diamond arc demon 
which yep. was one of the very uh, kind of early on uh, versions of a teleski. And I just simple, I had a simple cable binding and it worked great. Um, but uh, when, yeah. when conditions were variable, it, it was rough and it was a very heavy ski. I would say these fishers are probably half the weight that that black diamond ski was. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not very common to use a waxable ski. I mean, some people do it, but it's not very common to use a waxable ski in the backcountry just because of that, that the challenge of getting the wax right. And just the idea that you're going to see over the course of a tour, you're going to see a, a, ver a variety of terrain and variety of snow conditions. So what, what else have you tried and, and, and why did you settle on the Fisher? Yeah, I, the other ski um, uh, that I tried that was the first ski I purchased for doing the Catamount Trail was the Matchus Eon. And that's a, uh, let me look at the dimensions on that, but. Um, I, I feel like it's the narrower. It's, it's a 62 under foot, 83, 62, 70. Yeah. And it's a really nice ski and it was uh, great for easy sections, but it had uh, way too much camber. And I found for my intermediate skill level, I could not turn that ski. Um, somebody with much more advanced uh, technique could easily turn it and use it for the entire trail probably but there was no way I was going to do use that ski on uh, traps, uh, bolt into traps, for instance. Sure. And did you, and that, you said that was the first ski that you purchased for the Catamount Trail? Correct. And is, and is there, do you remember, what, did you get it because it was light and I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I can't say exactly why, but it got recommended to me from the shop where I purchased it. Yeah. And it just turned out, I think it was the widest ski that they sold. And I was talking to a salesperson who was an advanced Nordic skier. Um, so I'm sure for that person, that ski worked great for them. But I needed a little bit more flotation. Uh, that was another thing. It's much more narrower. And when I found that I was in snow that was anywhere from two to four feet on sections like 18, 19, um, I could not, even when I was trying to keep in the track that people ahead of me were keeping, I could not get up the hills with it. So um, I just didn't have enough flotation. I was sinking further down in the tracks than everybody else who had wider skis that day. Uh, so it's a great ski. I, I loved it and I hate, I actually, I sold it, but um, it just didn't have enough versatility for a lot of the sections and conditions that you'll see on the trail, I found. <clears throat> and then you settled on the Fisher for, and how, how long have you had that? And I, I, I purchased it um, two years ago and I've probably done about... I think I did about 10 sections with this ski and 20 sections with the other two skis. And um, I settled on this one. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a flip of the coin between this and the match juice. They're both very similar. They're great skis, but since I had done match juice with the Eon, I said, oh, I'll try Fisher this time. Now, the one thing that's unique about this ski, uh, ski is it's a little bit of a sales gimmick, but it's actually quite cool. And that's, uh, let's see if I can get it here. Um, uh, the lighting's not so good. But there's this little notch right here um, that you can clip the skin in and it goes through the backside. 
and your uh, kicker skin goes right through that. And so it makes it for very easy on and off. And actually I've really liked that. It's been very beneficial. Nice. And your experience, those last 10 sections on those skis, if you could, if you were going to do it again, would you go, were you happy with the wider ski, even though it's a little bit heavier? as far as the touring performance on the catamount trip like in your your happiness on the catamount yeah. trail yeah, you know i did not find this ski to feel heavier than the eons the the skinnier ski but it certainly doesn't track as well um when you you know when you get to the resort you can't go in the tracks so you're on the the uh, skate groomed areas and you'll slide a little bit more left and right than than you did with a skinnier ski but when you're breaking trail, uh, it's just so much better. I, I feel, yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Will. You're and welcome. Kenzie, what are, what are you sharing with us tonight? I have both ends of the spectrum to share. Um, first is the skinnier version of what Will was just talking about. This is the Fisher S-Bound 98s. Um, the reason I chose this guy is for two reasons really, um, the camber profile and also the side cut. Um, so the camber profile of the Fishers is quite a bit different than the Machu skis, which I had skied both the Epic and the Anum previously. And they have a stiffer camber um, compared to the Machus, um, which means that I can get better kick and glide out of it because I come from a Nordic background. Um, so that was a big determining factor on this guy. The other factor was the turning radius and that it actually has a pretty big difference between the tip width, the waist width and the tail width. So I can actually make some decent turns even though I make absolutely atrocious tele turns. Um, so that, those were the big factors for this ski. Um, yeah, it skis really well on a lot of different kinds of stuff. Nice, and that, one's, that one also width wise is kind of like that middle, that kind of like Goldilocks, you know, range. Yeah. Like yeah, it's not too big. It's not too narrow. It's like right in the middle. Yeah, it is the uh, the sister ski of the Anum. I mean, not the Anum, the Epic. Sorry. Um. Yeah, and when people come into the shop saying that they're looking for a ski to ski on the Catamount Trail, we're looking at either the Epic, the Anum, the 98, or the 112. Those are our like four go tos if someone's looking for a ski to do that kind of stuff. Nice. Um. Yeah, I do also have to say that the Easy Skin insert is kind of cool. It is a little gimmicky. But if you just need a little bit of extra purchase getting up something, it's pretty nice. And it's really easy to actually insert the skin instead of using a traditional kicker skin, which you clasp around the front of the ski and then have to lay it down. And it's kind of a pain in the butt. Nice. And the second, yeah. And you said you brought two pairs of skis. Yeah. So. Second is going to be the Matches Voss, which they actually don't make anymore, but this is probably one of my favorite skis that hasn't been kind of a race style ski. Um, so this guy is 50 um, at the waist, um, but it has a full steel edge to it. So it is kind of like Amy's ski that she was showing, but a little bit on steroids. Um, so this guy is what I would use. Um, I live in Nebraska Valley in Stowe to go up the hill and go to traps and do a few laps around traps and come back down home. Um, because I feel like I have enough control with a metal edge on a skinnier ski, but I still want to be able to fit inside of a track, which is 70 millimeters wide at its widest point. Nice. And so like something like that is a great option for somebody that's going to spend a considerable amount of time at a resort 
but then might also wanna like poke around in the woods here and there. Um, whereas we get into some of the wider skis like the Epic or the Anum or the fishers that we've looked at, like they're much too wide to fit in a track. And so like Will was mentioning, like you get onto, you're forced into kind of the groomed area. And in that area, there's a lot of like, they kind of like, kind of like want to slide out from the sides of you, which makes covering any real amount of distance on groomed terrain not that much fun. Um, whereas when you hit a groomed terrain on with that narrower ski and you can just jump in the tracks and go, which is kind of nice. Yeah, the other big difference with the tracking tracking ability of the wider ski versus the narrower ski is that side cut that makes it really turny, makes it want to turn on um, any kind of terrain. So that's why, you know, if you have a really wide ski on that corduroy at like traps, you're gonna be sliding everywhere, but that makes it easier to turn. Whereas this guy, you're gonna have a harder time making those telly style turns or um, any kind of turn that isn't a true Nordic turn because it doesn't have as much of a difference in the side cut. Perfect, thank you. All right, let's see. I think I think we did a good job covering skis. What do you guys, does anybody have anything else they want to add about skis for people that might be watching? Yes, Kenzie. Yeah. Um, another thing to consider is the fish scales that you are choosing. Um, mm -hmm. There are two main types of fish scales. There's positive and negative traction. Um, positive means that the base is actually built out, which is what is on all of the Mad Shoes skis. Um, which means you get great grip when you're going up and it just catches a little bit on the way down. It'll kind of sound like a, a little zipping noise. Um, whereas on like the S-bounds, they technically don't call them a negative traction, but they're really a negative traction where it's cut out of the base, which means it's gonna glide a little bit better and climb slightly, slightly poorer. Um, it's not really that much of a noticeable difference, but something to consider. Great. Thank you. Good to know. All right, let's move on. Oh, could I just add one other thing about ski length? And oh um, yeah, you could maybe talk to about a little bit more about that. But one thing I did is I sized. I actually went down two length sizes um, because I wanted to make sure I could turn quickly through trees and tight areas. Um, but I, I regretted that a little bit. I wish I had only downsized one simply because I didn't take into account the extra weight of my pack uh, being on those skis as well. So I am definitely slow, much slower on these skis than if I had been uh, a slightly longer ski, but I can definitely maneuver them a lot easier. So I don't know if anybody else want to add to that. Yeah. Do we... Yeah, yeah no, that sounds great. I mean, I think something with, Nordic skis in general, the way they work is like, there's a, they have camber. So there's this, the skis are kind of flex underneath. And the idea is that when you're weighting both skis equally, you're on the tips and tails. And so the ski glides. And when you're only standing on one ski, you have enough weight and you compress the ski so that you engage that grip zone in the snow. And so what you can do is if you size, if you, if a ski that's too big for you is going to be hard to compress and it's going to be difficult to get grip. A ski that's too small for you is going to be over compressed all the time. So that kick zone is always going to be dragging, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you're looking for some, if you're looking for more control or more grip, uh, sizing down can, is a good thing. It can be a good way to go. It can make sure that you, you always have grip and it can slow you down in the descents if you're, you know, a beginner or early intermediate skier. Um, so sizing definitely is something that you can 
play with a little bit to kind of affect how the ski, uh, you know, skis, the ski performs and match it to you, like your experience level and your, your desired uh, level of control. And like, you, Will, you were saying, you're like, you went a little too far maybe just because uh, you were giving up that lack of surface area was then slowing you down. You're kind of sinking in the snow a little bit more, or maybe that grip zone was dragging a little bit more than it needed to be. Right. But I was so much better off than too long of a ski where I was spending more time getting back up after crashing. So it, it was definitely worth the decision. I just wish I, I had a chance to go in the middle and yeah. The lesser of two evils. That's right. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. All right, well, let's move on to bindings. This isn't that exciting of a topic, but it can be it, it's, it can be pretty important. Um, Sam, we haven't heard from you in a little bit. What Can we see what bindings you're using on your epics? You can. I'm on the uh, NNNBC bindings. See here, um, which I think is a pretty standard. These are uh, Rota, Rotafella, um, but a pretty standard um, design. Um, uh, I don't have a whole lot to add, I think, to sure. this part. Can I ask you some questions about it? Yeah. So when you purchased your skis, they were, again, you were thinking about skiing the Catamount Trail, correct? Yeah. And, and what made you, were you presented with other options? And did you, do you remember selecting these specifically, or was it just kind of sold to you at the shop? As, uh, this is what you get. On Craigslist, yeah. Okay. All right. So it came set up that way. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, right. Yeah. So I'm not going to, you know, I, I think maybe more for bindings is just, you know, keeping in mind that you want something um, durable and reliable. Um, and certainly, you know, that's what I found these to be. Um, uh, you know, you do your, do your research, talk with some folks and, and make yeah. sure that um, you're buying a quality item, right? That's what that's what's going to keep you on your skis. So sure. Well, and you cool. said you bought. It sounds like you bought these skis used. Yeah. And then you took them on the Catamount Trail, the whole Catamount Trail. Yeah. And then you you've continued to ski them the last since 2015, was it? Yeah. So you've had them for quite a long time now. They've seen a lot of miles. Yeah. And so I've broken. I broke. Uh, you know the they got the wings here when you open and close, right? And there's two wings on here. I broke off one of the wings on one of them uh, and it remains broken. I haven't fixed it because it still works. Um, and that that's sort of my only other commentary on bindings is because um, you know there's there's different makes and models but keeping in mind the, the reason I broke it is it, they were icing up over time. I mean I didn't have any way to thaw them out when I was on the catamount trail. And so keeping in mind the, the way your boot interacts with the binding, you, you know if there's pockets or crevices in there as you compress snow as your foot moves up and down, um, you can create you can create ice by compressing all that snow that gets caught in there. And in this case, I got some of the snow, you know, intermingled into the binding uh, and ended up breaking it as I was trying to get, uh, I think, unclip at the end of the day. Um, nice. So again, you know, looking for something durable. In this case, the wing broke off, um, but they still function fine. Um, yeah, well, I, I think there's definitely, there's definitely an argument, you know, there's some discussion around, like, should somebody use a, a system binding, which is like that NNNBC binding, or like a three pin binding, which I think we'll see here in a little bit. And oftentimes the, most people lean towards that three pin system for durability in the backcountry. but I, it's good to see that like your pair of skis has seen a ton of miles and a ton of use and it's still going strong. So 
while it's something that you can worry about and like someone shopping in a shop will have to make a decision one way or the other, uh, it's good also to know that like that stuff works perfectly well. And, you know, those N and N bindings actually tour really well. So like if you're, if you're going to be doing more touring or covering a lot of ground, like those boots tend to be more comfortable. The, the way they flex is a little bit nicer. So like if you're spending a lot of time out in the cold, um, it's better for your feet. It's just a, just a much more comfortable touring experience. Um, typically with the I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big guy who skis hard and, and, you know, they took, they took everything I gave them. So, um, if they get a, they get my vote. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Great. Hey, Kenzie, what are, let's see, what are on your heavier skis? Well, I'm in that three pin crowd. Um, I have the Volley three pin Mountaineer. Um, so it is really just your basic, basic three pin toe piece. And the reason I decided to go for this guy is because I wanted that side to side control. So because the interface is wider set at that 75 millimeter point, um, I have more control making turns downhill, um, which I find more important with this ski. Um, there's a lot of different three pins out there to choose from, but this was just kind of what I thought was applicable here. Great. And that doesn't have, and that, that binding doesn't have any ability to attach a cable or any other secondary retention device? No, no. Um, you're, you're utilizing just the pins in the toe, correct? Just the pins in the toe. That is what is keeping me stable going downhill or as stable as I'm going to be going downhill on that setup. Nice. Um, on my other setup, I um, have your basic, basic SNS profile binding. There is nothing special about this. This is what people have on a lot of their inbounds, um, kind of in-track ski. And the reason I have this guy on here is because it works with my old brace boot. And um, that's my favorite boot that I own. So I want to be able to use it with pretty much anything. Um, that being said, like I've never had an issue with it. It's totally fine. I actually did somehow release out of this when I was doing the Stowe Derby last year. Uh, where I actually flew into um, the gates and my skis came off, which is surprising because I've never ever released from a Nordic binding. Um, but they they haven't broken. They haven't done me any wrong. I love them. Nice, awesome. Uh, Will, what are you? What did you put on those uh, your fishers? I did. I went with the, uh, oops, the three pin binding as well. Um, where's my camera here? Um, and for that extra control, but also because of having experience with the um, NNN bindings, um, icing up and being hard to get in and out, I, I thought this would be a little bit more reliable. Um, but I did go with a version with the uh, cable binding around the heel. And I would say, you know, probably 80% of the time I ski without it and I just carry it. But if I, come to an area where I feel I need that extra support. It just, see, it just clips. This is hard to do with the camera. I'm not very, there we go. It just clips right in on both sides like that. And it wraps around your heel. It also gives you redundancy. So if something happened where your three pin tears out uh, in the boot or something, you can wrap the cable around your boot and get out of the woods safely. Nice. And the, and the port, yeah, the point of that cable is, like you said, twofold, provide some redu retention redundancy. And then in a downhill environment, it produces, a, helps you produce a little bit more forward pressure so that you can, are better able to turn the ski, like flex the ski into an arc and turn it. So 
Yeah, and that's that. The three-pin cable binding from Volet is one of the bindings we recommend for the Cadmon Trail for those, like mostly for the re redundancy and retention. Um, it's just a really reliable, simple binding. And if you're going to be out in the woods for an extended period of time or away from people, it's nice to have uh, backups, um, a backup plan if something goes wrong or breaks. Um, thanks, Will. Amy, what are you sporting on your skis? Not much to add here. I have what Will has. Um, and cool. yeah, the, the Volet three-pin cable binding, Telemark binding. <clears throat> I would say, like Will, I rarely put the cable on, but if I'm going out for an extended trip in the backyard, I don't take the cables. If I'm going on the catamount for the day, I put the cables in my backpack. More for redundancy than anything else. I, don't, I find that they are uh, a hindrance to kick and glide. Um, you know, if you're going up, they do you no good. Um, they just make it harder. <laughs> but going down, they can be helpful. And also they are um, a backup plan if for some reason something else fails. Um, and I do also, you know, the torsional control that Kenzie mentioned is, is great. I love to turn. Not everyone wants to do that. But for me, that's really important. That's part of the fun. So there's that piece. And then the third piece for me was I wasn't buying new boots. I got the skis and I already had a pair of um, Scarpa T2s and I wasn't going to go buy something in between. I had a pair of boots that fit and it worked. And so I have had a hard time finding other backcountry boots that feel comfortable to me. Um, and I like the plastic. I like that I can take the liner out. We're not talking about boots right now, but that was one of the reasons definitely that influenced my choice. It's like, I'm not getting new boots. So I'll get these bindings. Perfect. That's you, and, you and Kenzie both there, buying, buying bindings to meet your boot needs. Yeah. Well, you know, you, things need to be uh, interchangeable as much as possible. <laughs> and, and the boot is the thing that goes on your foot, right? So you gotta, that has to work. That's the, that's the one piece that has to kind of like interface well with your body. If it doesn't work with you, then. Yeah. And if you there. know you have one that works, like why, why yeah. change it up? Yeah. Sam, you go the one ski quiver route. I like to go the one boot quiver route. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think we, I think that's covers it for bindings. Yeah. There's not a ton to say. Does anybody have any, anything else to add before we move on? All right. Uh, let's move on to boots. I think this is going to be a little more interesting. Um, Sam, what, let's start with you again. Let's, uh, let's go see what you're wearing for boots this with your setup. Yep. Same thing. Uh, same thing I've been wearing the last five years, super comfortable. And I think, I mean, you know, as, as somebody who is more interested in the long distance trips, uh, first and foremost for me is comfort and livability. Um, you know, I, I'm more than happy to sacrifice a little bit of stability or a little bit of performance or whatever for something that's going to keep me um, warm and comfortable day in and day out. So uh, I have the Razi BCX6s um, right here. And um, uh, again, uh, well, this time these I bought new, you know, the skis, I bought, <laughs> skis I bought on Craigslist boots, I bought new and, um, uh, went to the shop and tried a bunch on and this felt nicest for my feet, but everybody's feet are different. Right. So, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what kind of boot they should be buying. I think that's a, a personal preference thing. Um, find something that, that feels good, uh, just like yeah. Amy was saying earlier and then stick with it. Uh, for sure. And that, that boot has a, there's a shroud over the front of it, right? protects the laces yeah 
Yeah, kind of and um, protects the laces, keeps the snow out, I think most importantly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's laces within and they uh, cinch right down. And then there's a, a zip that goes right over the front there that closes everything up. And um, it, you, there's a cinch in the back too that cinches up right against, right around your ankle to keep the snow out. So it's a, um, uh, keep you warm and dry. Now, if I, if I remember correctly, the year you skied the Catamount Trail was quite cold. <clears throat> uh, yeah, and, and um, which was great. The snow was really good. It snowed almost every day and, um, it, you know, it stayed good. It, it, there wasn't any, you know, very little melt or, or uh, transformation or anything. Um, but so then even more importantly, have a, have a high quality boot where um, you can stay warm. And these, these work great. Now, I don't have a ton of problems with my feet, which is also, you know, I, I have good circulation or whatever the case may be. Um, but uh, find something that works. Yeah. And so, so your, those boots kept your feet warm on that entire trip? Yep. And I had multiple days of, you know, the days were single digits or negatives. I had nights on nights on nights that were negative temps, negative teens. Um, and, you know, I, you have to, it's a, this is a different discussion perhaps, but you're bringing your boots into your sleeping bag to keep them warm, keep them warm and thawed and in a futile attempt to, you know, at least dry them out a little bit, uh, the, the outsides at the end of the day, but um, they worked great. They kept me really warm. Yeah, and I was I was gonna ask about like boot management because you were out there for 17 days or 17 days, yeah. 17 days. And so yeah, moisture man in the winter, moisture management is like a big concern. Cause like over time, especially if you have sweaty feet, that moisture works its way into the boot and then can freeze, especially if you're in extreme like cold temps. So you have, did you you have any tricks for keeping drying out the boots or well, other, other than sleeping with them? Yeah, it's a combination of proactive and reactive, right? So you're doing everything you can to, to not sweat a lot on your feet throughout your day and moderating your pace and moderating your, you know, everything from layering and de-layering to, to, you know, I mean, I, there were days where I'd be unzipping that shroud trying to get some airflow into there to limit my sweating um, for the occasional day that it warmed up enough. Um, so there's some of that proactive stuff, just trying to minimize the amount of moisture that you're creating down there. Um, but then, yeah, too, uh, trying to dry them out every chance you can. So, uh, you know, the Catamount Trail is a, is a backcountry trail, but it goes through front country sites. So if you stop in at a Nordic Center or whatever, yeah, please put your boots in front of the wood stove and dry them out for an hour while you eat a cheeseburger before you go hit the trail again. Um, <laughs> just taking those little moments to, to try to, you know, manage all your, your gear and your feet and everything uh, is super important. For sure. Did you have any uh, frozen boot moments? Did I have any frozen boot moments? There was always every every morning there was a every frozen morning. boot moment as I tried to get my feet into them, um, uh, and you know you're hopping around and and beating on them, trying to break up some of the the ice or whatever, and then um, trying to jam your feet in. But uh, you know nothing catastrophic. I wasn't. I didn't have to yeah. ski out in bare feet or anything. Nice, awesome. Yeah. All right, Will. Uh, what are you using for boots with your fishers? Yeah, I actually started out with the same boot that Sam did. And I, I will attest, absolutely, probably the most comfortable boot I ever put on my foot. Um, but uh, I did find that in the warmer temperatures, they were hot. And um, I actually happened to have good luck or bad luck. There was a couple of years where they had a defect in the rubber and the, the bill um, uh, broke. It cracked right along the toe here. 
So when I returned them, I, I went with the Alpina Alaska boot. Um, see it there. And it's kind of a all leather boot. Um, it definitely doesn't have the, the snow protection on the laces uh, that the one Sam does the Rosinals. But if I know I'm going through deep snow, I'll just throw on a, um, a, a pair of, jeez, uh, <laughs> blanking some, out. Some gators. Uh, gators, right. Thank you. Uh, gators on them. But I, I've really enjoyed these boots. And um, as Amy alluded to, there are some times I wish I had a, a, a small plastic boot for a lot of the downhill stuff, but this I found to be work really well all around uh, for kick and glide it, it, as well as uh, for turning. Now that Alaska boots a full leather boot. Um, yeah, it's like or, modern or leather. So it really isn't a full leather solid. It definitely doesn't have, I found it had more support than the Rosino, but um, it definitely doesn't have that firm support that a traditional full leather boot has but it is much more comfortable and I never have had a blister with them where I um, I did start out with a old, old style traditional full leather boot on my uh, wax skis and my feet were eaten up alive after one trip nice all right thank you Will uh, let's go let's go to Amy and see what your your boot selection looks like well, I, I gave this away earlier. These were the boots that I had when I bought the Anums. So it's um, a Scarpa T2. That I think that you could ski an Anum, people do, with like the T3. And is there a T4? I don't know what's still made. Um, but there's certainly a supply of them uh, out there in the used market. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it dries well. I'm not usually spending the night out there, but occasionally have having the um, internal liner that you can pull out and dry, like in your sleeping bag is nice if you're doing that kind of thing or next to the fire in a hut. Um, they dry out pretty easily. But generally, this is what I at the time was using for a lot of other skiing and it um, was comfortable and it was stable. I definitely got a lot of looks on Catamount Trail tours. Like, why are you wearing such a huge boot? And it wasn't because I needed a heavy boot or that felt like I needed one. You do need a bit more to turn, you know, one of the wider skis, <clears throat> but it mostly was convenience. Yeah. And what was your, I mean, yeah, for sure. I think if you showed up at a Catamount Trail tour with that boot, a lot of people would be like, wow, you don't have the right gear. But what was your what has been your experience like using that boot on Catamount Trail tours? Like, I mean, certainly it's heavier. Um, you know, some of the newer ones are a lot lighter. Um, it's heavier. Uh, my feet stayed much warmer. I have very sensitive to the cold toes, and so it was a much better option for me than a, a lighter boot. Um, and it's too much on like a flat section. I would not bring these skis or boots um, if I were skiing, you know, down south along Somerset Reservoir, maybe, for example. Um, <clears throat> but to ski Bolton the Traps or to ski from Bolton down to Route 2 or to ski, you know, some of those things, it's really fun. Um, and there were times where, you know, some, I, I've done a lot of skiing and so I could do a few laps while other people were negotiating the trail from point A to point B, you know, you could do a few quick laps with, uh, with these and get some turns in. So yeah. good for the steeper sections, a little too much for the flat ones. Totally. But totally usable. Oh yeah. It's yeah. fine. I mean, I remember going on tours with you and you, 
there was no slowing you down. So it didn't seem, they didn't seem to slow you down much. I don't think so. But, um, you and know, if your, you were new, if you were new to the sport or newer to the sport, it, it might give you pause to put on a heavier boot and, you know, sure. all those things. So, and with your lighter setup, what boots are oh, you running? Right. Um, again, usually I find myself bargain hunting. So uh, these are just Rossi, uh, I think they're called DC5s. I don't think they, the current, this name exists anymore, but it's a real simple, um, just sort of yeah. general touring boot, uh, standard NNN, not a BC NNN like Kenzie shared earlier, I think yeah. on your other skis. Um, it, like, I don't love these, but they, I don't use them all that much. It's mostly playing in the backyard or, you know, an hour or two at an order center or maybe half a day on a trail. Um, and they, they definitely do the trick. They don't hurt, but um, I've yet to really find a pair of sort of the lightweight Nordic boots that I thought were amazing. Um, and maybe it's because I'm used to heavier boots, but these work. Um, the pair before this was a pair of combi boots, meaning they were supposedly good for skate and classic. And I managed to fit myself into a junior size one. So I saved some money. So I will say that's kind of how I buy some of my, my gear and it still works. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, it seems like a combi boot would make a good, you would think it would make a good solution for like a lightweight backcountry setup because it has, supposedly you can kick and glide with it and it provides a little bit more ankle support, but yeah, who knows. Um, Great, thanks. So very, very simple boot. Definitely good for like the flat sections of the Catamaran Trail, Nordic Center, backyard skiing, golf course, golf course skiing. Perfect. Like that, and that general purpose boot is kind of like a little bit roomier, affords a little more room for a thicker sock or some other things if you're going to be out in the backcountry. A little more wiggle room for like long days versus like a race boot. Like we'll see what Kenzie's running, but like a race boots tend to fit closer to your and are designed to be worn with less layers. So they tend not to be as warm. So let's uh, let's see what Kenzie's sporting on her skis. All right. So um, we'll start with the three pin. Um, I have the beefier version of what Sam has. This is the BCX12. Um, so it's pretty much the same body, except for it has a higher carbon cuff to it. Um, I really went with this guy because I wanted a little bit more ankle support. This was right after I broke one of my ankles and one of my feet at the same time. So I was really looking for stability uh, and it certainly provides that. It's kind of a weird in between between what Amy has and what Sam and Will have. So a softer boot with thin slit lining in it still, um, but a little bit more control and stability like a hard shell boot without actually having a hard shell boot. Um, they don't make this guy anymore, which I find kind of sad. Um, but it's performed really well over the years. And for your lighter setup, let's, let's see what this famous race boot is that year. Uh, Solomon RC Carbons. Uh, so um, they are your quintessential kind of high school, college race boot. Um, not a whole lot to them. What I really love about these boots is that they have an Achilles strap. Um, so if I can actually well, in here, you can see this little white thing that actually tightens around your Achilles. So you have no movement in your heel whatsoever. Otherwise, super lightweight, super flexible, um, doesn't really have a lot of insulation to it, but the fit is very close to your foot, like you were saying, Greg. Um, and um, it's been my favorite ski boot that I've had in general. 
um, but not the boot for everyone. That's for sure. So with that boot, I'm sure I'm sure it performs wonderfully at a resort in like on groomed terrain. And so lacking any, you know, a, a classic boot like that doesn't have a lot of ankle support to give you to give you as much ankle mobility as possible. Yeah. Um, so how do, how do you how do you find it when you take those skis on ungroomed terrain? Um, because I know how to make a Nordic turn, which is a step turn. Um, I don't find it as hard. Um, but for people that are going out there and don't have as much Nordic experience, the boot that Amy was showing, the X5, um, is kind of the quintessential do everything boot. It goes with that metal edge ski that's going to fit inside of a track, but still, you know, have that metal to it. Um, this is really not for people that have not had Nordic experience because um, there really is no support to it at all. For sure. So like the boot Amy has combines like that flexible sole so you can have good kick and glide, but with a taller cuff and a little yeah. bit more ankle support. So when you get off the trail, you can kind of, there's some semblance of control of your ski uh, when you get off the trail. For sure. Perfect. And so I do, I definitely, I'm kind of in between setups right now. One, and one of the biggest reasons is because I've never found a boot that my foot likes. Uh, I have a really strange foot and I've gone through a number of different setups and every one of them like uh, destroys my feet. And I, I, the last, I just haven't found a, a boot. That, and that's one of the problems with like XCD equipment is there, there isn't a huge selection of stuff out there. There's really only a handful of companies making it. And so the skis and bindings are pretty easy to come by. You can often find them in like, like you said, on Craigslist, people are uh, unloading them. But like the boot is like the, the critical piece of the, of the equation. Like if you don't have a boot that fits and you can't use it, you know, if you go out on the Catamount Trail, you know, you might be out there for, you know, seven to 12, 14 miles. And like, you're making a lot of steps, you're moving a lot. And if, if the boot doesn't work, you're gonna know it pretty quickly, so. Um, Making sure you go to a, if you're, if you're getting into it, you want to go to a shop, try on as many different ones as you can and like, and make sure you get something that fits. Um, one of the other things we really like about the three pin system is like with the, you know, all of the boots that like Kenzie and Amy and Will shared all are interchangeable with all of those skis. So you could have, a, you could have a, a ski setup that's kind of in the middle, like uh, the Epic or the fishers that Kenzie has with a three pin boot on it. And you could run like a lightweight leather or synthetic three pin boot that is a little bit more touring friendly. But then on other days you could, you know, you could also take it with a plastic boot and go practice telemark turns on a, at, at like Bolton Valley and a, on a, off a lift. And so, you know, that one ski setup and one binding setup and two boots, you can cover like a huge variety of terrain um, and situations. So, um, that's one of the other reasons we, you know, we tend to recommend the three pin setup just because the redundancy and the, like the versatility if you, with the boots, just because they're compatible with so, such a wide variety of uh, different boots. Um, great. Anybody else wanna make any boot comments? No? All right, let's move on. Uh, we're gonna talk about skins next. This is, skins aren't something that typically come into play on a lot of the Catamount Trail or in a lot of Nordic touring scenarios. However, they, they are, they can be really useful sometimes. And there are typically two different kinds of skins. There, there are kicker skins and there are full length skins. Does anybody have, uh, Will or Kenzie, do you have the kicker skins that we can show people? 
Go ahead, Kenzie. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I have the kicker skins right here. Um, like I said earlier, um, the Fisher kicker skins apply themselves a little differently than normal kicker skins do because they actually have what they call the easy insert to them. So it still has the glue to it like a normal full length skin, like any other normal skin out there. But to apply it, you're essentially gonna take your ski, put it at an angle, push this bad boy up and lock it into place right there. Push that down a little bit and then laying it down evenly over those fish scales. Um, what it does really well is it adds just a little bit more purchase on steeper stuff, which is really nice. But the disadvantage I find from kicker skins is that they don't add as much purchase as you would get out of a full skin. Um, so different sections that you're, you're skiing, you're not gonna get the full advantage out of it. Definitely, and so I guess just a quick aside, skins are, they're a directional carpet that yeah. sticks to the bottom of your ski. And so what that does is it, the, the hairs point one direction. So they, when, you move the, when you move forward, they slide. And then when you try and move back, they stand up and grip the snow. And so the idea is to give you ad additional traction in steeper terrain, icy terrain, uh, certain situations like that. And the kicker skins are nice because they're, they're short. They only cover like the kick zone. They don't go from tip to tail. Um, which also makes them smaller and easier to pack. Um, and so let's see, do you, do you have longer skins, Kenzie, or just, you just run the kicker skins? Um, I run the kicker skins on these guys. If I'm going to do something that I need a longer skin on, I'm going to use my, one of my AT setups. AT um, setup. Nice. Yeah. And Will, how about you? Do you have, are you running the kicker? Have you been happy with your kicker skins? Yeah. And so I have the same ones here that Mackenzie just showed, or Kenzie, yeah. sorry. And um, I also have an old pair of kicker skins from BD and I'm, they're twice the size. So I did notice that these don't quite have that purchase all the time, but they work, they work great most of the time. Um, and one thing you said, Greg, most of the time on the catamount, you're not going to need it, but I always carry them with me. And I, in fact, I always carry both and I've had to lend them out because sometimes we get onto icy conditions and somebody's sliding all around, you just put these on and it just makes your day from miserable to pleasant. Um, yeah. And I do have a full pair of uh, uh, full length skins as well, but I'm not using them on these. Again, if I know I need to use full skin, I'm, I'm going to my full telly setup. You're gonna have your setup, great. Uh, Amy, anything, what are you using on your, uh... On your atoms. Well, it's a good question because my son just graduated into the old pair of skis that I, or old pair of skins that fit the atoms. Um, so I'll have to repurpose another pair, but I just had a pair of G3, again, recycled. It was a pair of G3 skins that I'd used on my Telemark skis um, and they fit pretty well. <clears throat> I agree that you know, lots of times you don't really need a full skin on the catamount trail, but I also have sort of made a rule to myself that if I start asking myself if I should start, stop and put them on, that I should, because I'm going to have more fun. Um, you know, I've used my anims. I don't know who, you know, who's listening now has skied Bolton the Trap, but I've used them and gone all the way up to the top of the hill from Bolton to get back down the other side without skins. And it's just not nearly as fun. Like you can do it, 
but you get the skins out and you stick them on there. It's like, you're not cheating. You're just using the tools that are available. Um, so just like Will said, I basically throw them in and the hardest time to decide is when things are undulating, right? Like if you know you're going up for a while, you put them right on. If you know you're going down for a while, you pull them right off unless you need them for some kind of speed control. And then um, the places that are always a question are where you're going up and down and up and down on um, things that are steep enough that, and it also depends on the snow conditions, I would say. You know, sometimes your skis stick better and sometimes it's real slippery um, because of the temperature, or the moisture. So um, I got to find some new ones. I've never used kicker skins, but I do feel like they would, I've always felt they'd be a good, a good option, a good in-between, um, adding a little bit less weight and both to your backpack and to your ski. Yeah, I remember skiing the first time we skied section 22, uh, eight years ago, maybe. <laughs> and I borrowed a set of equipment from the Catamount, one of these sets of BC-90s. And uh, I was definitely not prepared for the descent on that. And I definitely left my skins on to offer, to like help me control my speed on some of those like narrow shoots before on the, once you start the descent. and. Uh, I was glad, I was very glad to have the skins, a full length skin on that ski at that time. Even though it does make, even though it does make it a little bit, they can be a little bit squirrely. Um, it definitely, the, the little bit of additional speed control was definitely welcome. Um, Sam, what are, what was, what was your experience? Did you have skins with you when you skied the Catamount Trail? Uh, I did not. Uh, and I remain, I, I still don't have skins. Um, generally, I am, uh, uh, if I'm touring on my mad shoes, uh, I don't bother to bring skins. I, I don't have them. Uh, if I'm intending to do something steeper, then I bring my AT equipment. Um, so I, I don't have a, I don't have an in-between for kicker skins. I say kicker skins or anything like that. Uh, if I'm cruising over gentle terrain, then this is what I'm using. If I'm intending to go out and do laps and, and, um, uh, downhill ski, then I'm using my AT setup. Nice. And then, and do you remember when you skied the Catamount Trail, were there, there any sections where you were like, man, I wish I had skins or were you, did you find yourself pretty like the section or did you find that the stretches weren't overly long or you just, or you just didn't, you didn't know any better? <laughs> uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any better going into it, certainly about, you know, what the, what exactly I was going to be facing in terms of terrain. Um, uh, like Amy described, um, there are, you know, most of it's relatively undulating. There are some sustained pitches, but um, it, there's not a ton of just massive ups. Um, and so uh, I'm happy to, uh, you know, I don't mind toughing it out for a little bit to get up and herringbone or, you know, whatever you got to do. Um, I, uh, I think I, <laughs> I think it, don't, it almost frustrates me as much to have to stop and put them on and stop and take them off and stop and put them on uh, as it does to just, you know, put my head down and <laughs> grunt through it. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think that's one of the things, like if you're, if you're just exploring, you know, not, off, not on a trail system, you're just exploring the woods, you can always pick a route up a slope. You can zigzag back and forth, put kick turns in to, to find that angle where you do have grip and where skins come in really handy is when you're following a trail that's right. been, you know, and the trail takes you up a steep pitch or it's a, or it's a highly used route that's been skied before and, you know, might've been iced over um, and you run into those conditions where 
you know, there, you're like, you're right. On the Catamount Trail, there aren't, there are, it's pretty undulating. And most of the ascents and descents, like the challenging ones, aren't that long, but there are a few where it's kind of nice to have uh, just because, like, section 22 from Bolton to Traps is one where you have a sustained climb for a long ways, um, no matter which way you're coming from. And it's nice to have those skins just because, like, like Amy was saying, if you're thinking about, if you're like, should I put them on or shouldn't I? You just put them on because then you don't have to think about it. Um, but you're right. And then, you know, if you only have to go 100 feet, yeah, just, you know, step out and start herringboning and it'll be over in a few seconds and then you can get on with your day. And, and, and so maybe that goes in, you know, in my introduction there, I, I described that most of my time on this equipment these days is, is playing around in my own backyard and, and in my own woods. And I, I am not doing a ton of skiing on trails with this equipment right now. Um, and, and so, like you said, you know, I pick my own route, that's a little gentler. You can always zigzag your way up a hill as opposed to pointing it and going straight up. Uh, and you know, the other thing to consider, we talked a little bit about boots icing up and having to do boot management skins. There's certainly a lot of skin management on that, on some sort of a sustained tour too. And so that went a little bit, that factored into my decision to not bring them was the awareness that, um, yeah, they might work the first time and the second time and the third time and even the fourth time. But if I was putting them on and off day in and day out uh, with not a great way of drying them out, that they were going to be just become lumps of ice in my bag. Uh, and so that's, you know, depending on what kind of a tour you're going on, if it is going to be a multi-day tour, um, <laughs> thinking about maybe your route planning in such a way that you're not going to be relying on skins on day four when you haven't had a chance to dry them out. For sure. Well, I think for most people that are considering like getting into this type of skiing, like this Nordic touring or XCD type skiing, like skins are not a necessity to, to start off. Like, I think that's what you showed is like what your, what your experience is a kind of a, is a great example of like, you know, do, will they improve your experience? Like, sometimes in certain scenarios they are worth it but it's not something you need to go out and buy right away when you're if you're buying a, getting a setup we, we talked about skis at the beginning right and everybody pointed out their fish scales and that's what that's what fish scales are is a you know, <laughs> miniature skin on the bottom of your ski and and certainly that suffices for uh even moderate uphill sometimes again depending on the snow conditions but yeah yeah perfect well great um any any other skin tips for people? Do it. I mean, I guess we could share some skin management tips if we wanted to. Um, they're not. It's not as quite as important for XCD skiers, just because I don't feel like people are using skins all that often. But like Sam was saying, like you definitely want to make sure to keep them dry. Um, the glue, the sticky side, can get contaminated with snow. So if you're on a long tour and you're taking them on and off uh, throughout the day. Um, you want to make sure you you don't get that you don't drop them in the snow because they can start to stop sticking. And if you don't have any the kicker skin, one of the problems with the kicker skin is that there's no tail clip to kind of like ho hold it on. Like with a typical AT setup, you have a tip loop and a tail loop, and even if those sometimes kind of start to lose their stick, those clips can kind of like still maintain uh, the skin on the bottom of the ski a little bit and allow you to use them. Um, but with a kicker skin, you don't have any, you don't have that advantage. Um, <laughs> hey, Henry. Um, so let's see, I think there's, we got a couple of questions on the chat. Someone's asking for end to enders, what percentage of the catamount trail is kick and glide versus hiking and maneuvering? Is there a resource that compares sections for that? Not really. I mean, I think 
so will you've skied the you've skied the whole trail like how often would you say you broke out like given decent conditions not like especially icy conditions how often would you say that you felt like you needed to break out your skins oh probably less than a half dozen times i definitely use them on the climb from bolt into trap but i, I used my full tele gear one time and i used my 112 fisher 112s the other time and i used just the kicker skin on that and it worked just great um and then it, it just a couple times where the conditions were um, uh, just a super hard crust of ice on top and you couldn't break through it. Uh, the, the skin made a big difference. So I probably used them only four times out of all the sections. The, I wouldn't, as far as kick and glide, you know, that depends on so much on the snow conditions, but also the terrain. But for the most part, it sounds like there are only a handful of places where the terrain warrants skins. You know, there are other situations where the conditions might warrant skins. Um, but for the most part, you know, uh, your, your typical XCD setup should be, a, should be like 98% of the trail. You should be more than, uh, you should be okay with. Yeah, if you're paying attention to the snow conditions and deciding when to go out, yeah, that, that makes it even less of a need for sure. Yeah. And so skins are more like kicker skins or skins are more of a, a, an insurance policy and less of a necessity. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. But, but they're a nicety as well. Nice for sure. Because yeah. I think Amy was saying is some days it, it can really make the difference between you just having a nice time versus struggling all day, trying to get up the little pitches here and there. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. There is a difference between like, enjoying your time, surviving and enjoying your experience. So great. Thanks guys. Um, I've got a couple, we've got polls on here, but I, I just wanted a quick question, adjustable or fixed for you guys, Kenzie, for backcountry skiing, do you prefer adjustable or fixed poles? Well, with these setups, I do my fixed Nordic poles that I use at a Nordic center. Um, yeah. yeah. And no, and like, no worries. Like you, I'm sure you have a variety of poles and like, you never are like, oh, I wish I should have, I should have brought my adjustable poles. Nope. Always this guy. Um, it is your basic Swix pole. But the one thing I love about it is that I can take my kind of hand hold off of here, um, which means I can actually hold further down on my pole if I'm going at something steeper. So it's, it's not short by any means, but it's comfortable and it does the job. Yep. Great. Uh, Sam, I'm curious to see your poles, Sam. I didn't even bring them. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know where they yeah. are. I, uh, both of my, you know, my, my cross country poles and my downhill poles, I think at this time, uh, both pairs are different poles, different sizes, <laughs> different everything. You know, I <laughs> you break them enough. I, I, poles are not something I buy. There's something I find. Um, For sure. So uh, not, <laughs> not a big believer in geeking out on poles or or uh having a, well, i think a, i think what, i think what we discovered in in our our at and telly discussion as well was like poles are something you just use them you don't worry about them too yeah. much for split borders it was a little bit different there they have some specific considerations but uh uh but yeah so are you using did you are they fixed or are they adjustable uh currently fixed fixed okay and no and like again like you, when you go out, you, it's not even, you don't even give it a second thought. You just use them and. Nope. You know. Yep. Whatever, whatever two are on top of the pile. 
perfect. Uh, Will, how about uh, how about you? Yeah, so I went with a, um, a it's a black diamond um, adjustable pole, and I got these so I use them for everything from I, I don't use it for like traditional Nordic at the resorts, but for downhill skiing as well as backcountry. And as an intermediate skier, I find it very beneficial because when I'm doing the sustained downhills, I'll shorten the pole. So it reminds me to keep my knees bent more and leaning into the turns um, rather than getting my weight too, too far up. So I find that advantage. <laughs> and how, do you have a, are you using like a big basket on it? Do you guys, I feel oh, like. No. Um, standard touring basket, yep. Yes, yeah, standard, right. It's about the same size as you would see on any Nordic um, or uh, touring or even a downhill pole. Great. It's hard to see scale on this, isn't it? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. They, yeah it they looks do huge, like black, doesn't it? Black Diamond. <laughs> yeah, it's ginormous. Yeah, Black <laughs> Diamond does offer a powder basket, a bigger one for that offers more support in like soft terrain. But again, like on the Catamount Trail, you're usually, I mean, like you might have soft conditions, but I mean, oftentimes, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't make that big of a difference. You just need yeah. something that's long enough. There's a few times where I've sunk the pole all the way down four or five feet. Yeah. But that's very rare. Those are good days. Those are good days. <laughs> Amy, how, how about you for poles? I'm generally on the same page as Will. I have um, adjustable poles that I use most of the time. No, we don't need them. He just shared a pair. Um, and then I do same thing at the Nordic Center. I have a pair of fixed, lighter weight, longer for skate or different ones, of course. But uh, yeah, I like the adjustable. And I almost always climb. I mean, maybe not if I'm just touring, but I almost always climb with them longer than when I go down. Um, I don't think we're always thinking about our technique when we're on the Catamount Trail for downhill, but there is something to be said for shorter poles, helping you keep your weight forward and that keeping your weight forward helps you stay balanced on your skis. Um, so even just grabbing your tall poles lower down um, for downhills could be helpful <clears throat> for body position and staying upright. <laughs> yeah. And so what one of the benefits of having an adjustable pole, it sounds like from both Amy and Will's perspective, is that you can use them for touring, you can use them at the res at downhill skiing, you can have like one pair of poles and it just kind of covers all your bases, even though it's it's not that important to have an adjustable pole for the individual pursuits, but you can have one pair of poles and do a lot of stuff with it. I think generally it's going to be heavier. Yeah, heavier, but nobody here is too concerned with pole weight. <laughs> this isn't a schemo clinic. <laughs> so every, every ounce counts, Greg, every ounce. <laughs> For you more than me, I think. <laughs> Great, so take away, get some poles, however you can, preferably cheap ones and use them. Uh, and if they if they're too long, just choke up. <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, packs. We're gonna do our, the last item on our list is to talk about packs um, and like what kind of you know when we go out, when you go out on a tour on the Catamount Trail, uh, you tend not to you tend to be out there for a good part of the day, and so you tend to be carrying a little bit of stuff with you. Um, and I'm just wondering what kind of packs you guys are using when you go out for uh, a Nordic tour. Um, Kenzie, let's let's start with you. Uh, it kind of varies for me, um, but it can go anywhere from my like day hiking pack, which is like an Osprey 22 liter guy to my mountain biking hip belt 
um, that is an eight liter that I can fit pretty much the bare necessities and um, a water bladder in there. Um, I tend to go for a little, the smaller pack most of the time because I don't feel like I need that much stuff. It's not like I'm carrying my goggles and my helmet like when I'm alpine touring. Um, so it, the both, they both carry enough and uh, I have plenty of space in one of them or just enough space in the other. So on, on what kind of tour would you opt for the larger pack? If I'm going out for more than four hours um, is when I would go for the larger pack because then I'll carry more layers with me because I will sweat and I, if I stop, I will get cold. So I will pack an extra puffy um, just to be safe. And I'll also pack extra snacks in there because um, after four hours of skiing, I'm going to get hungry. Nice. Great. Thank you. Uh, Will, what are you, uh, what pack are you using right now? Uh, similar to Kenzie, I have no idea actually the volume. I would guess it's somewhere in that 30 liter range. Um, and when I'm going out, it's pretty much an all day. Plus if I'm leading a tour, I'm bringing extra safety equipment uh, with me. So it's pretty good, but I make sure I have a puffy jacket, um, extra socks. I, I have, I, I bring three different pairs of gloves all the time as my hands overheat very quickly. Um, but then once you start sitting still somewhere, you got to get the thick gloves on. So I fill it up pretty, pretty well. Um, but yeah, I would say it's probably about a 30 liter pack. Great. <clears throat> and Sam, are you, where are you sporting for like your day tours? Not necessarily for a 17 day push on the Catamount Trail, but. Uh, I yeah, I have a, a very similar answer to Will. I, I think it's about 30 liters. It's a black diamond. Um, yeah. And uh, I agree with all that's been said before. I like to bring a thermos okay. of coffee sometimes. Uh, certainly nice. a puppy for okay. every break. Um, yeah, you cool. know, I, it's same as boots, right? It's whatever it seems to be comfortable, uh, fits your back and your waist and everything. And Yeah, it seems, um, whatever it seems like we're headed down the pole discussion. It's like, get one doesn't matter. It just needs to hold stuff and take the stuff <laughs> and carry the stuff you need. You don't really need to like worry about any of the technical features that come with it. Amy, what are, it seems like Henry wants to show us the pack you're using. Yes, I think he helped pick it out, but it's a Mammut 25 liter um, Nirvana, I think it's called. And the only reason I was gonna show it, can we turn it around please? Is I'm a big fan of the flat back here that you can open and see everything that's inside. So you can throw your back, your pack down in the snow and the part where your back goes doesn't get wet. Not everyone likes that feature, but it's a feature that I've come to really appreciate. Yeah, so it sounds like everybody here is in that like 20 to 30 liter range. Seems like a good, a good pack. When we had the AT discussion, we were a little bit bigger in that 30 to 40 liter range, but I think that's because helmet, there's a few other items to carry. Um, especially like some safety equipment. So when you get rid of that stuff, you know, like your regular like school bag size pack seems like it should be just about just about right for most um, outings, uh, Nordic touring. Um, any other considerations with packs? It sounds like, yeah, just use whatever you have. Don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to get anything special. If it carries what you need it to carry, like then your bases are covered. I'm, I'm really appreciating how not technical and nerdy this discussion is. Um, I feel like we last week we got super nerdy with the split borders and this one I, I appreciate I appreciate just how like 
yeah, we're just out having a good time. Just use whatever you can get. Um, thanks, guys. So I think that's it. Does anybody have anything else they want to add to either about the Catamount Trail or gear? Yeah, Sam, go ahead. Uh, well, I just, I just liked your comment earlier. You know, it's maybe become a little bit more apparent here with the poll and pack discussion, but you mentioned it too for when Amy was showing her boots that, you know, maybe a little bit untraditional, but they were usable, I think was the word you chose. And I, it's important for, I think that's a good sum up. That's important for any sort of gear anywhere, right? Is, is to, you know, there's no, there's no right answer. There's just a right answer for you. Uh, what, what works well for you is maybe not going to work well for somebody else. And what works well for somebody else is not going to work for you. And it's um, whatever seems to fit your feet or your body or your style uh, appropriately, whatever feels comfortable and feels good is what's going to work. And, and, you know, we can, we can show you what we're working with, but it's because it's what works for us. It doesn't mean it has to work for you. And I think that's an important, an important thing for, for this gear discussion, for any gear discussion. Uh, that's why there's so many different types and brands out there is because everybody's different. Yeah, for sure. I, I would totally agree. Actually, this category of backcountry skiing, one of the problems we run into with backcountry skiing is that it encompasses, that phrase encompasses a, a, a wide variety of modes of travel. And XCD touring, like Nordic touring is one of the ones that's probably the broadest. You know what I mean? We have everything from skinny skis that fit in tracks to like wide skis and plastic boots that are, you could use at a resort to make turns. And, you know, that can be, that can be kind of like difficult to, to figure out what you need um, when the options are so vast and so, and so, br and so broad. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to think about like where you're going to be using it um, and what, what, what's the terrain you're going to be on, because uh, it sounds like, you know, again, you can get away with a variety of different things. Um, but if you have the choice, you can pick the one that provides like the best experience for you and the type of experience you want to have. And so if you're somebody that wants to go out and cover a lot of distance and isn't so concerned about making turns, you know, maybe a slightly narrower, more touring efficient ski is going to be for you, but maybe you're interested in kind of exploring, but you're, you're really kind of on the lookout for like those little pockets of, uh, terrain where you can make a few turns and you know some, maybe something that's a little bit wider with a heavier boot is going to be the thing that's going to provide you with like the most fun and the most enjoyment from those experiences and so for us on the catamount trail you know if, if you're buying our recommendations on the website come from the fact that we're assuming you're going to buy one pair of skis one setup and to ski the whole trail and so like that middle that middle ground is kind of the way we is kind of the way we push people just because there is a variety of terrain. You're gonna kick and glide for a lot of it. There's gonna be some steep stuff. There are gonna be some steep climbs and like and conditions over 300 miles of trail vary drastically. And arguably conditions make more of a difference than the terrain does in what gear you wanna have. And so that's, one, that's another consideration. If you get to pick your days, you know, you can pick good days where your gear will work and avoid the days where your gear might not be so appropriate. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, like, that's the nice thing about the Catamount Trail is like, there's just so, it's so diverse and the number of experiences available on it are, you know, are widely varying. And, you know, there's definitely something for everybody. Like when we host our, when we used to, in a non-pandemic year, when we could host our, uh, the Section 22 shuttles, 
you know, most of the people getting off that bus at, at Bolton were on Alpine Touring gear. You know, there weren't a lot of people on XCD stuff. And so, um, and those people have just as much fun as the people on XCD, XCD stuff. So it's nice, I don't know, just get out there and ski, right? Just whatever it takes. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, just one more last call for comments or last things to say. Yeah, Kenzie. Um, the one thing that I have in my pack at all times, no matter what skiing I'm doing though, is glide wax. Um, I never leave my house without it. So if you're getting any kind of skis whatsoever, this is a godsend. It keeps snow from sticking to your skis or to your skins or whatever and can make or break a day. Yeah. And those are, and that's for those days where you, in the spring often where you have like warm, wet, sunny snow and cold kind of shade snow. And when you move from one type of snow to the other, the, the it freezes and sticks to the bottom of your skis. Yeah. You can end up with like snow stilts uh, if you're not careful. And so one, then you have to clean it off. So oftentimes people will carry some sort of scraper as well to remove the ice if it starts to ice up. And then like you're saying, yeah, like some sort of glide wax or rub on wax to minimize icing. If you notice that happening, this looks like Will's reaching for something. Yeah. Scraper. So perfect. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much, everybody. I think we're gonna wrap it up unless anybody else has anything to say. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience with us and your time and sitting in with us. Um, I do wanna make one more pitch. We do have uh, next the next two Tuesdays, we have additional discussions coming up. Next week, we're gonna be talking about uh, how to dress for the backcountry. And the following week, we're gonna be talking about what to, what to bring in your pack, what to pack um, as far as like, and we're gonna specifically dive into like first aid and repair kits um, and talk about a few other things about staying found and staying safe in the backcountry. Um, again, these discussions are hosted by the Catamount Trail Association. Um, if you aren't familiar, you can find out more at catamounttrail.org. And we encourage everybody to kind of like get engaged, uh, you know, join us, follow us on Facebook, uh, look at our tour lineup, join us for a tour. And uh, if, you, if, it's, if possible, you know, consider becoming a member. Um, we are a membership supported organization. And so all the programs that we offer, all the tours, um, the maintenance, uh, the conservation work that we do, uh, the youth programs that we run, like all of that is supported through uh, charitable giving, either through memberships or through uh, donations. So um, we do encourage you guys to check us out, learn more about us. And if you think we're worth it, uh, become a member or make a donation. Um, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Happy skiing, everybody. Happy skiing. Pray for snow. <laughs> Pray for snow. Fingers crossed. <laughs> all right. We are no longer live.